Hi, and welcome to the Denverse. I'm Derek, and we're still in quarantine. There still aren't sports, but there is the exciting NFL offseason. And there's never been a more exciting NFL offseason, in my opinion, based on the lack of other things going on, which is why I decided to bring in my friend, Jeremy Halperin, who is, as I would say, a numbers expert in the NFL. Like, whenever you have a cap question, Jeremy is the person to ask. He has uh, done some, some writing, and he's also a active member of the Broncos fan group. Which which fan group is that, Jeremy? Um, it's called inthinair.com. Um, it's uh, kind of just an independent chat board. Um, got a lot of smart people, a lot of good experts, a lot of good conversation, most of it about the Broncos, but uh, talk about other stuff sometimes too. So so yeah, so Jeremy is is active on there and uh, and well respected among his friends and and colleagues. So uh, welcome in, Jeremy. Well, thanks. Uh, very excited to be joining you and uh, get to talk about sports in this time. So, <laughs> how are you holding up without sports? So the way that I've been talking about it is that I really miss the events that have been canceled. So I'm sad about yeah no NCAA tournament, the Masters, playoffs, opening day. But I'm not missing the what's going to happen aspect of sports. I feel like I've got a lot of uncertainty in my life. I don't need the uncertainty of who's going to win and who's going to lose. But I am sad about not having the actual events. How are you dealing with it? I I would agree with that. I miss uh, the social aspect. I miss going to Avs games and Nuggets games with friends. Um, definitely kind of miss having something to follow. I've watched a lot less highlights than I thought I would when this started I thought I was going to be every every night get on NFL game pass and watch something or something like that but really only have done that a couple times so that's been a surprise I don't know how you've been on that front yeah I've so right away uh DNVR was streaming the 2001 Stanley Cup so I was like this will be great I'll watch that and then I remembered that the NHL in 2001 was terrible they stop every 15 seconds and then they take a minute break. There was no, there was no like, we got to hurry up and do a face off. It was like, everybody rest now that we have had that 15 seconds. And so the game is still good when there's action, but there just isn't that much action. And it was just, it was dragging on. I sort of felt that way about all of the sports. The only one I watched about 10 minutes last night of game three of last year's uh, 2019 uh, NHL playoff series, Flames versus Abs, the game where McKinnon scored two goals and then McCarr scored his first goal in his first game. That was exciting, but also like the, the pace is better. So I think that one thing I'd like to come out of this is a better way to rewatch old games where like you get all the action, you get a little bit of the context, but you don't have to sit through yeah. mechanics. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's like two hours is a long time to sit down and watch a game that you know what's going to happen or that just in the back of your head you're saying, I know this isn't real. I know this isn't actually live right now. So, Are you um, someone that can tape a game that you didn't see and then watch it afterward? I've, like, done that once in my life. Like, I've done it in extreme situations, but, like, in general, no. For a couple of years, I was trying to do this column where I would try to track the momentum of a football game. And so I would try to watch the Broncos games again. And I just did not have the energy to be like, when did the momentum change in this game? I was like, I yeah. don't have any momentum. We need a better way to just like watch the exciting moments of these games and yeah. not just yeah. drag it out. So Yeah. And I, I think some people have tried to find that balance where you, 
you don't watch the whole game. You don't watch just the highlights, but they put in enough to like get the storyline and get the like, you know, it wasn't a highlight, but it's like showing that helps you build up. And so you get maybe a quarter or a third of the game or something. And I think that's a good way to go about it. Yeah, I like that idea. I do think, and I mean, documentaries are great, but they're so time consuming. And uh-huh. like action, part of the problem with a lot of the documentaries is we know most of the things that happened. Like there isn't a lot of surprise. And so how do you add that element into all of this is confusing. Um, the other thing that I think is just so interesting to follow is all of the crazy plans that are coming out for all of these leagues. Um, there have been several proposals of either all of baseball going to Arizona and just playing the entire season in the spring training facilities or doing an Arizona and Florida plan, which also be interesting. So in that scenario, there's a chance the Rockies wouldn't even be in the Dodgers division. That sounds great to me. Um, I also have enjoyed looking at what college football is thinking about because they're really freaking out because college football is the driver for every athletic department in the country. If you don't have college football and it's regularly scheduled and played out scenarios, like there's a lot of money on the line. And so there's been everything from starting in June to starting in January. Have there been any of these proposals that you really liked from, uh, (laughs) from the world of almost, almost playing sports? Um, I mean, I like anything that gets us back to having sports. So, so there's that. I, I've thought like some sports probably seem a lot easier than others. I pitched the idea, um, just kind of was brainstorming, but could they make a baseball slash slow pitch softball kind of merge the two sports and get it where you actually keep the players six feet apart at all times. And so, (laughs) When I played slow pitch softball, they would have a safety home plate and it was always a force out at home and you would run, the player would run towards one base and the catcher would be standing on a different base six feet apart. And could you do that with all the bases and somehow make it, you know, you're always forced to run or something and it's still baseball and maybe you don't even have a catcher and it's just balls and strikes are automatically called and they're they're going straight into some backstop thing and then they get sanitized <laughs> after every pitch and wow stuff, so wouldn't it even like, be baseball at that point like I, would you... <laughs> it, would, it would be definitely different and i'm not gonna say it's better than baseball but if it's that or nothing i would have to take this hybrid slow pitch softball game over <laughs> over nothing so well let's get into the nfl and i guess let's actually start there how are you feeling about this season starting with training camp in late july right now um, I'm optimistic, and I guess in part I'm optimistic because if we can't figure out how to get football back, it's how many other parts of life are we not going to be able to get back with restaurants and youth sports and, and kids going back to school and colleges starting back up and people going to the dorms. So I, I'm just trying to stay optimistic, not because I want football and sports, but also because um, I think if we're able to pull that off, hopefully we're able to pull off a lot of the other aspects and get back to a semi-normal life by this by then. So I could see – so the Broncos, before they built Dove Valley, used to go to Greeley every year and have yeah. a football training camp there. So I do wonder if the NFL will mandate some sort of – you have to stay in dorms or a hotel, you have to sequester yourself from the rest of the world for training camp in the preseason at least and sort of see what's going on there. And yeah. that's – 
that's an easy way. And I think a lot of a lot of the older players have talked about how they missed the camaraderie that came with going to the dorms in Greeley. Can't imagine what those dorms are like. Like definitely worse than what we stayed in. Um, so yeah, I'm interested to see what happens there. And I think that the first thing that the NFL did was decided we're just going to continue on as if the world isn't in a pandemic, start free agency normally. And I thought that was a fine decision. There are people that were like, this is so disrespectful. People are upset about this. But I never saw anyone that was actually like, this is, this is disrespectful. They were just like other people thought it was disrespectful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was fine with it. I, I do think the biggest loss of the 2020 season so far is – the NFL draft is no longer in Vegas. Yeah. We no longer get the Bellagio Fountain as the stage for the NFL draft and the players being taken on boats to the stage to shake Roger Goodell's hand. That and feels it, like a loss. It, it's definitely a loss. Um, I imagine like a very slow rowboat and that they thought it was going to like work great and then it's just very anticlimactic. Of, oh, there goes Chase Young. He's, <laughs> he's on the boat. All right, he's still going, and, and it was going to be this awkward disaster, but maybe they would have. It would have been funny. Well, not no, at least for a couple of years now. Since. Yeah, it would have been funny if they could have, like, still been making picks. So you've got, like, three boats and a, like, procession of people, like, going to shake Roger Goodell's hand, which is one of the worst. Like, no one actually likes shaking Goodell's hand. Right. It's just, like, a thing that they do. Um, so I am sad about that, but I guess let's get into, like, how do you feel like so far the Broncos have done in free agency? Um, it, it was a, a unique free agency just with everything going on. And I think um, contracts, kind of the market shifted heavily as everything went on. And so I think some of the deals that they signed early on, people were excited about. And I think they got some good players. Um, but I think looking back with hindsight now, like the value just wasn't, wasn't, there compared to some of the deals that were had in the, the second half of free agency. And I don't know how much of that was uh, the COVID and people thinking future caps would drop or how much was just uh, money dried up and, and didn't quite play out as expected. So. so looking at the cap right now, how are the Broncos situated compared to last season? Like, are they in a better place, worse place? Um, I'd say – about the same to slightly worse. Um, I think they have about 17 million in cap space right now, which is about league average. Um, and I think looking ahead one year into the future, they're also sitting very middle of the pack. And I think at this time last year, um, they were kind of looking down in the future. There was, there was more opening. And that's kind of one thought I had about free agency was they where they are in the development cycle, it seems like it maybe would have been a good year to be a little quieter in free agency and save the money for next year. And this year might be kind of Locke's stepping stone year. And then next year they really look like a true contender and they make a big splash. Um, but it, they, they didn't – not all their moves kind of fit with that mindset. Um, and I think that's probably partly always an optimist and, and I, you know, he wants to win now. Um, it's and, sad. And I think they, 
it's sad when Elway is more of an optimist about this than you are, because you are always an optimist about the Broncos. So that, that really, for listeners, that should temper your expectations about what's going on here. And I mean, to cut to the chase, I think the team the Broncos have constructed and will finish constructing in the draft, it's all going to come down to Locke. If Locke continues playing like he does next year and makes that next step and becomes a franchise quarterback, like, the future is very bright. And they've, you know, assuming some, they get some good injury luck and stuff like that, I think they're going to be a good team and they're going to be a playoff team. And if Locke doesn't take that step, then I don't think they're good enough to carry subpar quarterback play. And I, that, that's probably true for 80, 90% of teams in the NFL. If you get the QB play, you're going to be a good team. If you don't get the QB team play, you're not going to be a good team. So, Well, and I mean, they really, you know, shored up that position with one of their free agent sightings, Jeff Driscoll. Do you know anything about Jeff Driscoll? He's a quarterback. Backup quarterback? quarterback. Yeah. Um, uh, I'd kind of forgotten about him. Actually, the last podcast Quinn and I did was the same situation where I was like, I forgot to look up anything about Jeff Driscoll. (laughs) I did again. I think that's fine. He's the backup quarterback, and we have a starting quarterback. I'm just so happy. And – I mean, you know, they got rid of Flacco, and he failed his physical. So did that – what does that mean as far as Flacco failing his physical? Does that have an implication on the cap? I think it's complicated. I think he could be due, uh, like, injury settlement termination pay. I think it's up to $2 million. And if he signs with someone else, it could be uh, less and or go to zero. So – the, the cap expert I know, um, he said not to worry about it too much and that it's not worth getting worked up about. So, Do you think Flacco plays in the NFL again? Um, I don't think he's going to get a starting job, and I guess it comes down to does he want to be a backup and does he want to convince someone that he's a good backup and that he can serve that veteran mentorship role well and I, I think there's a definite chance the answer to both of those is no but there's there's a lot of former starting quarterbacks out there on sign starters who could be out there you got Andy Dalton Cam Newton Jameis Winston and Joe Flacco so the Broncos lost a few key players from this year uh, Wolf Chris Harris Jr. Uh, Andy Janovich the fullback he's gone um, how big of an impact do you think those losses are at this point you know, it's kind of everywhere they signed someone, they, they lost someone as well. And so that's why it seems like most of the free agent moves were kind of almost running in place. So, um, probably it's debatable who's better between A.J. Bouye and Chris Harris Jr. Um, same thing, Casey versus Wolf, um, and same thing, Glasgow versus McGovern. And I think probably I'd say – Glasgow and Casey were upgrades, but only slight ones. And then uh, Bouye versus Chris Harris Jr. were kind of pretty debatable. And I, I, Chris Harris Jr. is one of my favorites, so I'm probably biased, but I'd probably say it was a s- slight downgrade to neutral, but taking into account my bias, probably closer to neutral. So I brought this up on the last podcast, but with Chris Harris Jr., are He's going into his decline. We don't know if it'll be this year, if it'll be in a couple of years, but I'm in some ways happy that his decline won't be here because that's so painful to watch. For like thinking about Todd Helton's last year and a half, that was really painful to watch. Um, 
or like Champ Bailey just getting cut by the Broncos after the Super Bowl loss. How do you feel about that? Are you like, is it a, like, I'm going to miss seeing him play, but I'm okay with him being gone. Or are you really going to miss him being on the Broncos? I'm going to miss him a lot. And I, I liked him as a player. I liked him as a person. I liked his story of being the 90th player added in 2011 um, as an undrafted free agent and and having his rise. Um, I liked the chip he had on his shoulder. And I guess what makes me so sad about is just how he left and it, he didn't leave on the best of terms and he hasn't, you know, given us the genuine thanks for everything. I'll always be a Broncos. I love you guys post that like Derek Wolf has given us. And so, um, I can see your point about if he does decline, better to do it somewhere else. But we're still going through the pain of, like, losing such a great guy with with such a bad taste in our mouth. And, again, I'm a huge fan, but I'm still thinking he could have a bounce back year. And it would really, really suck to lose him with a bad taste in our mouth and then watch him go somewhere and, and bounce back and be with the division rival. So, um Hard to find the silver lining in that move for me, and hard because he he went for a, a relatively cheap deal, and like not as cheap as as Wolf and Shelby Harris went for, but still a lot less than um, what anybody thought going into free agency, and a lot less than what we paid uh, AJ Bouye. So, well, you bring up you know the the players signing for less later in free agency and the cap concerns. The cap is pretty tied into league revenues, right? Yes, very much so. Um, something I I don't know is how much lag time there is. So say next year we played, uh, they played it normal and normal TV, but it was empty stadiums. Would that affect kind of the fall of the 2021 cap, or would it would they drag it out and it would affect more of the 2022? Um, but I did some back of the envelope calculations. If I said assume you know, the average amount of revenue they generate per fan is $120 um, per attendee of a game. And there's 10 games and 70,000 fans. And it came out to the impact on the cap was $56 million, which is just crazy to think about. We've gone from the cap increasing every year, 10 to $15 million. I think that's what people you know, early March when we were doing all these projections, that's what everyone thought would keep happening. Um, and if it just all of a sudden next year dropped $50 million, that would – it would be the weirdest free agency we had ever seen. And I I looked at the numbers before this. The average cap space – the average cap space teams have in 2021 is about $50 million. So it would go to the average team has no cap space. And it's, you know, a distribution some would have – some and some would be $50, $60 million over the cap and just have to purge their roster in a way we, we've never seen before. And there isn't any stipulation in there, like if league revenues fall, like everyone's contract gets cut. It's like you're stuck with what you have here. Right. I mean, most players don't have guaranteed contracts. Um, the, the CBA was just signed um, right before free agency started, and one of the big things that did was it boosted – um, minimum player salaries and people had thought that like we had had so much cap growth that minimum salaries hadn't kept up so they tried to adjust for that but if the cap drops again then it's kind of we get this point where the minimum salaries are higher 
while the cap is dropping and it, it just would squeeze that money available for for free agency even harder and so i think um it, it it could just be you know nobody knows but it could be such a wild year in free agency next year and it, it goes back to what if the broncos didn't make a couple of these moves this year how much will we be kicking ourselves for the the guaranteed money we gave Glasgow um, when Connor McGovern only got one year of a free agency. Cause right now paying 12 million for a guard or 11 million for a guard, like his contract calls for. Yeah. That seems about right for, for a good free agent guard, but it could be next year. Um, a good free agent guard goes for 3 million or 4 million or something. And that we're going to really kick ourselves for, for doing that. But it, I, I can't stress enough. It's such an unknown, so many variables so much that you know the league could adjust and and i think the nba's talked about doing cap smoothing so it's not a drastic cut but but a bigger one and how all that would work so it also is just crazy because you talked about the cba negotiations and in there the nfl is going to add another game in a couple years to make 17 games Mm -hmm. and they also added another playoff team starting this year and it was like they were like we just see an endless money pit uh-huh. Like where we could just do whatever we want and we'll make money. And it's like all of these sports leagues suddenly are realizing that how vulnerable they really are. Like depending on how this goes, like this could put leagues in ruin for years. Like the NHL has to figure out a way to play playoff games basically because their cap would probably go in half. Like I think they would lose half of their revenue if they don't play the last, the end of the season in the playoffs. And it, it's really, there's no precedent for this and nobody knows when, whenever we come out of this, is there going to be pent up demand or are people going to say, eh, you know, I, I lived without sports. I don't need to go as crazy as I did before. And the more I think about it, the more that seems likely is it's going to be people just forget about sports and, and it's not going to, it's not like nobody's going to be a sports fan, but it's, I think there just will be decreased demand for the product and the, the, the NFL was at such a high bar that it's, you know, any slight drop off, um, I think could have big effects. Um, Cause if you just look at like how much, you know, the, the caps grown from 120 million um, in 2011 to 200 million now. And so it's the revenues have almost doubled and it's like football was incredibly popular in 2011. Like, yeah. They squeezed so much money out of people and corporations and everything that like just a, a slight drop, you know, or a drop on the fringes. Um, you know, they need so much more than just their core fans. They they need it to be that like way of life and they need all that fringe attention to, to keep their revenues where they are. Well, and I think, you know, one of the big concerns is are people even going to want to go to large crowds and like, Oh yeah. You, you and I will go in face masks if we have to. Right. But, but right. we're in like the top 2% of people. Like we're, right. we're dying to spend money to go into an arena and watch sports. But like most people aren't. And I think that that, and just like, as I was saying, we have enough drama in our life. And we thought we had enough drama with just the 2020 election. Like that was, mm-hmm. that was keeping me drama filled. And now it's like, I mean, I know that's going to happen still, but it's not, I'm not thinking about it all the time anymore. Mm-hmm. And it is, the big tragedy of this is that sports is the thing that we usually use to cope, to bring us together. Mm-hmm. And that isn't possible this time. One of my favorite books, it's called 56, is about Joe DiMaggio's hit streak. And 
something I didn't know until I read that book was that was the summer that the U.S. was getting into World War II. So the whole country was gripped by two things, World War II and Joe DiMaggio's hit streak. And like that, having something like that would just be, it would be a huge relief. It's one of the reasons I want baseball to go forward, but it's also, it's not the same thing as being a fan. Like you can enjoy following something without like having so much invested. And I think that it is going to be hard for a lot of people to see the point of investing in things like that once this is all over. Mm-hmm. Especially in a recession. And, and I, yeah, and I, like I hope it's it's not too controversial of a comeback. If it's not that half the country thinks we shouldn't be playing any sports, and half the country thinks we we should be, and that it's you know just the subject of sports becomes controversial. Half the people think, why are you playing it in this environment? And half the people are thinking, no, we have to play it, and it, it can't bring people together because people just shut it out in that way college football is very worried about what happens and there are scenarios here where college football programs either don't play football anymore like i think we might lose some college football pros programs or i think that we could see some major conference realignment where cu is kind of in on the bubble of this but let's say that they don't get in like whatever the bigger conferences are and so now CU is a football school, but it's a regional football school. So they play Wyoming, Air Force, CSU, uh, UNC, those schools. And that's sort of their scope. And maybe they have one rivalry game a year, and then they try to get into a bowl game. But, like, this has been something that the college football has been worried about happening in the next decade. And now we're looking at on the table for maybe, you know, two years from now. And mm-hmm. that – is like this is I think that part of this is it's speeding up timelines on things where I think you know yes the NFL worry is worried about fan base long term but now like that's being brought more to the forefront I've thought that there's a good chance that Major League Baseball parks in the future will be closer to 20 to 30,000 seats instead of you know 50,000 seats like Coors Field I think that that is coming up and I think that that like everything is unknown here all we're doing is speculating but it's crazy that this is sort of like accelerating concerns that we had about these leagues without knowing that like social distancing was something we were going to be experiencing. And, and something I'll just add about the college football is the revenue sports of college football and college basketball is what funds all the non revenue sports, all the track and cross country and golf and gymnastics and um, soccer and lacrosse and all those. And, how hard will those be hit since football isn't bringing in the, the millions and billions of dollars of revenue? And will it just be sports scholarships or, or have to be cut drastically in those sports? Or, um, and it's, it, you know, everything's getting hit so hard right now. Colleges are hit so hard right now. And so, yeah, um, it's hard to find anything that's just not deeply affected by, by the situation and all the uncertainty around it. Yeah, I mean, we were talking when we came on because you were joining Zoom for the first time, and I was like, Zoom's completely different than it was a week ago because their business ju- jumps 20 times what it was. Like, even the good things, no one's just right. the same. Like, the places right. that are getting a lot of business are, like, takeout and hospitals and Zoom calls, and it's like, these things don't have the capacity for what they're doing. So nothing is just, like, the same as it was before. Mm-hmm. So that's very weird. 
The other thing I wanted to talk to you about was just the Melvin Gordon signing, what that means for the Broncos this year, and what that means for Philip Lindsay's future on the Broncos. Yeah, and that um, when it, when the news first broke, I was not a fan. And if you had asked me in early March, I would have said absolutely not. Like, there's no move I would hate more than the Broncos making a big splash at the running back position. Um, and for the most part, I still feel that way. I think there's some people optimistic that Gordon could really add another dimension. Um, I think part of it's kind of mental. How will – I think Lindsay's responded well so far. Um, but uh, you can see kind of that puts a bigger chip on his shoulder and he, he has an even better year. Or, you know, he takes – you didn't have confidence in me. It kills his confidence and, and he declines or, or he asks for a trade or something like that. And, you know, he shot down the trade rumors so far, so it seems like more we're going to the – it'll be motivating. Um, I think right now, you know, he's signed for this year and then he, he's a restricted free agent the following year. So he should be with the Broncos for two years, which is the same length as Melvin Gordon's contract. So it's, it's possible that, you know, we ride Gordon for two years and then in two years from now we extend Lindsay and make him the back. But it, running backs just don't last that long in the NFL. So that's mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of wishful thinking. And, I mean, we've had this concern about Lindsey since he was a freshman in college at CU where he's a great back, but he feels too small. And so far he's, he's beating the odds. We watched him. We both went to CU together. We watched him through that, beat the odds. And he's done that so far in the NFL. But, like, the average NFL running back's career is two years. This is year three. And it's, it's weird thinking about that with Lindsey where it's like we feel like he is the type of player who could be – a star in this league as long as he can play. But there's always that risk there. And I agree with you that I think he, he, he – the Royce Freeman co- competition with him, he rose to the occasion, was clearly the number one back, even though the Broncos never wanted him to be the number one back. Yeah. They always wanted him to be the complimentary guy. I think that that – it'll be interesting to see if this is a way to maybe get him – less game action but more involved in the game and I guess that's the hope that that's got to be what the Broncos are hoping if they really still want to use Lindsay right and it it uh it definitely just highlights it's so unfair what happens to running backs in the NFL and Lindsay's making the league minimum salary all three of these years he's going to hopefully get a slight pay raise when he's a restricted free agent but nothing big and then it it could totally be he has a down year's fourth year and just kind of fades away and never despite being a pro bowl caliber running back he might just uh fade out and it's it's just the the unfairness of the running back position or or maybe he does maybe he can you know just it sucks to get paid he has to stay successful through four years and show that he's going to be successful beyond that. And, you know, Melvin Gordon beat the odds and he got a $16 million contract, um, but he had to hold out to do it. And and it was with controversy, Um, but it's just the nature of the running back position. I think there was a lot of people because he was a fan favorite calling and saying, we should do the right thing. We should give 
a pay boost to Lindsay, even though we don't have to, even though it's not business sense, but just to treat him right. And the Broncos did a complete 180 on that um, in a lot of ways. So, And it just shows you how expendable running backs really are in the NFL. Yeah. Like, because yeah. the difference, if Drew Locke the next two years is as good as Lindsay was in his first two years, the Broncos will be giving him a huge contract. Yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll um, be a hundred millionaire. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, Lindsay has been the brightest spot for the Broncos the last two years. And it just, it doesn't really matter. Um, he's, you know, now the second highest paid running back. And I think it also just tells you, I mean, the Broncos have had, as most teams do, just a carousel of running backs over the last decade. And Royce Freeman is a great example of that, you know, high round player, never really found his footing and now really doesn't have a role anymore on this team. I, it's just crazy how cyclical to me it is. Cause I remember way back when Hillman was signed and he was going to be the next big thing in an unseat Marino. And then he didn't really work out, had a couple years and then fans gave up on him and couldn't wait to cut him for uh, Devonte Booker. He came in and was supposed to be the big thing. And then, had a year of hype on Booker and now we're sick of him and want to go to Lindsay and Freeman and we're people were pissed he was on the team the last year and now it's just like the cycle continues and and uh yeah it it's really just been a carousel and kind of it just amazes me we get infatuated with one when we draft them and then a couple years down the road we're sick of them and sick of them taking carries from the new back we're infatuated with yeah and I think you know there are two things that I think over like at least our lifetime in the history of the Broncos that are true. The quarterback is all that matters and running backs are replaceable. And yeah. I mean, the thing about the post Terrell Davis Broncos was they just have a new guy every year, get a thousand yards. Only one of them really had enough success to do anything. And that was Clinton Portis, but like at least the system worked. And I guess that that is the hope with bringing in new offensive coordinator is if we can get the system to work, then we have this talent of Lindsay and Gordon that can get us some extra, get us something extra and not just be like a right. system around Drew Locke. Well, Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you can find Jeremy uh, arguing in the comment section on Inten Air. <laughs> um, and we got the NFL draft coming up. It's the biggest sporting event of the year at this point because it's the only thing we know that's happening. Uh, so I'll be watching those. GM sit at home on Zoom and try to make their picks. So uh, thanks so much for joining us. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. This has been the Denverse. I'm Derek. Uh, we'll see you soon.